Hello and welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News Chief White House Correspondent Jonathan Carl. And I'm ABC News Political Director Rick Klein. Rick, it's Election Day. I know you know that. I know you know how important it is to get out there and vote. We are not going to waste any time with this podcast. We're going to get right down to business. We don't even have big orchestral stuff for for today. We're just going right into it, right? We're, We're going right in. And I think the most important thing we can do is kind of a little bit of a cheat sheet, a guideline of what to watch for tonight. Uh, we are uh, we're, we're, we're very excited for this podcast. I mean, this is this is it. We've been building for this. We've been we've been waiting for this. This is it. A long time coming. I mean, the country feels like it was ready like six months ago, but here we are. It's it's all over now. But the voting and the, and then the counting. You're right, John. Here we are. So joining us right now, we've got Galen Druk, the host of the Five Thirty Eight Politics Podcast. Uh, Galen, uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Happy Election Day. And who knows, we may even have a surprise guest drop in. We'll see what it is. Happy Election Day to you. So so let's get right down to it. Um, as polls start to close at 7 o'clock, what, what, what are the first places you're going to be looking? What, what, what do you do? What's your ritual here? Well, absolutely, when polls close, we're going to start looking at Florida and Georgia. And as folks who have been paying a lot of attention to Uh, what election day might look like, probably already know, we're going to get a large quantity of early votes in the Sun Belt relatively quickly once polls close. So we wanted to be careful to make sure that we're not putting too much on an emphasis, too much of an emphasis on those results because they're likely to skew toward Democrats. However, Florida also counts its in-person day of vote relatively quickly. We give Florida a lot of crap for being bad at elections, but they actually are one of the fastest states to count their ballots. So at seven, uh, most of the polls in Florida close later on. The panhandle closes. We'll get a dump of ballots early by mail, et cetera. Then we should be able to get those day of votes relatively quickly. And look, I don't think anybody should hold their breath for this, but if this is, for example, a runaway for the vice former vice president and he wins Florida, then we could get a a sense of where this election is going relatively quickly. Well, we probably know at that point, right? I mean, you, you don't see a way that Donald Trump can win without winning Florida, do you? Look, I think if you plug it into our interactive on 538.com that allows you to look at the different pathways to 270 electors for the two candidates, if Biden wins Florida, he has a 99% chance of winning the election. I mean, something crazy could happen where all of a sudden, you know, there's a big Sunbelt, you know, northern states split and Trump wins you know, every state from New Hampshire over to Minnesota. But uh, I don't wouldn't expect that. Okay, and and then and then specifically, uh, you, you mentioned Florida and Georgia. Uh, do, do you do you have specific counties you're going to be looking at to give you a sense? Do you have anything? You know, what would what, 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 get a little more granular with me? Absolutely. So, it's important to understand that. In this election, usually the way that you start to get a sense of how the vote is going is by comparing this year's uh, uh, vote tallies in counties this year with vote tallies in counties in the past. And you can get a sense pretty early on based off of using like 2016 or 2012 as a baseline where things might be headed, even when you don't have full state results. And so in a place like Florida, you're going to be looking at the big counties like Broward County, Miami-Dade, et cetera. In Georgia, you're going to be looking at the Atlanta suburbs. And 
you know, those are places where you would expect Democrats to be pulling in a lot of votes if they're going to win those states. But also we know from looking at polls over the past several months that Joe Biden has closed the gap a bit with Donald Trump amongst non-college educated white voters. And so we should also be looking to the rural counties in states around the country, even Kentucky. Polls close relatively early at seven o'clock in Kentucky. And if we see that Biden has closed the margins there amongst uh, more rural counties, amongst non-college educated white voters, that's a pretty good sign for him overall, probably in the North as well. Kentucky and Indiana, I would say as well, right? They're, they're both yeah, closing of course, seven. Of course. Okay. Uh, and, and Rick, I, I think you have a guest, you have a special guest that just dropped by. I believe I believe we're joined we're we're joined by His Eminence Frank Luntz. Is Frank oh is Frank with us? Frank, are you on? I don't know if anyone can actually be with you, but yes, I am on. Close enough. Close enough. Okay. Okay. Frank. Frank, Republican pollster extraordinaire, uh, Mr. Focus Group, uh, Mr. Mr. Everything. Tell us what we need to know today. Where, wh what have you learned? What's the most interesting thing that you have learned today that tells us what we need to know tonight? That the turnout in Republican communities in North Carolina is significant and running ahead of what it did in 2016. And I get this from the top party officials that they're not having any difficulty at all turning out Trump people who did not vote early, they specifically wanted to wait until election day to send a message to uh, to those who had voted early that to them there's one time to vote and that's on election day, that's one. Two is that the turnout in Republican areas in the central part of Florida, which I know that you and John are well aware determine who wins that state, uh, they are doing quite well as of uh, noon today. So we're one hour beyond that and that they're reasonably confident that they're going to get the numbers to, to win both of those states, which of course are essential to Trump's reelection. Right, and be clear that if Trump doesn't win either of those, he, he almost certainly isn't reelected. They're must wins for him, not necessarily for, for Biden. Frank, what do you make globally of the, of, the, of the early vote? We smashed every record, 100 million Americans voting early. Uh, we know that Joe Biden has built up a significant lead. The Biden team thinks that uh, that means that they built up enough of a lead where the Trump is going to need to rack up, you know, 20 point margins in a bunch of battleground states, you know, win 60 plus percent of the election day vote in the Floridas uh, and the Ohio's and the North Carolina's and even in a state like Texas. How realistic is that? And is this is this as formidable as some Democrats would make you think in terms of a pre-election day lead? I think it is formidable. Actually, in the end, if Donald Trump should win, people like me are going to be out of a job. The political people. The, it doesn't affect polling for corporations or, or polling for the weather, but you will not ever, ever trust a political pollster again if, if Trump somehow survives tonight. And as far as the early voting, wow. we are, I, I believe that, John. I, I believe that if you get it wrong two elections in a row, you lose the right to engage people in this. Uh, and, and, I also think that we're spending way too much time on the polls and not enough time on the policies, that there are significant differences that we should be addressing, and that, that too much newspaper time and uh, newspaper space and television time is spent who's up and who's down. And I do think it's a problem. 
So, so Galen, what, what what is your sense looking at that question of of polling? Uh, the, the, we, we we first of all, and I don't want to relitigate it, but but as as we've talked about on this podcast in the past, uh, the polling in 2016 actually was uh, was was fairly accurate. Uh, most of it was national polling. There was a lot of spotty polling in in, in the states. Uh, but what 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 is what is your sense? How how comfortable do you feel with this? this big influx of, uh, of statewide polling, which we've seen this year compared to last year. Absolutely. So I think, first of all, we should all approach elections and polling in general, understanding that there are usually polling errors. And on average, polling errors are somewhere in the range of two to three points. So nationally in 2016, we saw that Clinton was leading by about four, and then in the end led by about two points nationally. That's a two-point polling error. That's not a lot. There were larger than average polling errors in the upper Midwest that has to do with several things. One, pollsters weren't waiting for education, and so they didn't fully, like previously, education was not a huge divide amongst white voters' political preferences. It has become a major divide for uh, white voters' political preferences, and now it's important to make sure you're getting enough uh, non-college educated white voters in your sample. So pollsters have started doing that. There has been a lot more high quality polling in the battleground states. And of course, the other factor in 2016 is that there were a lot of undecided voters who broke late towards President Trump after the Comey letter, etc. There are far fewer undecided voters this time around. It's somewhere in the range of four to five percent of the American electorate, whereas in 2016, it was somewhere in the range of 12 to 13 percent of the American electorate because those two candidates, Clinton and Trump, were just so historically disliked. Now, I think that, you know, having said all that, we should not expect polls to be perfect. They are not. And um, just because there is polling error doesn't mean that we should scrap the scientific method. Like there's actually not a better way apart from conducting a poll of understanding what the American public thinks. I mean, if I go to one particular town or county in Pennsylvania and spend a week walking along Main Street talking to the people who live in that place, you know, I will have talked to two dozen people, but I still may have very little sense of what Pennsylvanians actually want from their government, their politicians, etc. So understanding that polls are not perfect, we still, I think, need to have a place for them in the political context and and in terms of just understanding what the American people want from their government. Frank, you're you're a you're a numbers guy, you're a data guy. I've been struck by uh, on the on the Biden side and the Democratic side. I would say even more than last cycle, um, you get a barrage of numbers, particularly around early vote and around polling and around analysis around it. The Trump team doesn't have anything that I have seen that's even close to to where it is. They're they're mostly just saying, don't believe the polls. And Donald Trump has the best turnout game um, as a person and an organization ever. What what do you make of it? I mean, is, is, is the Trump strategy at the end, has it just been, you know, trust us, he's got the magic touch? Or has there been something that we've not picked up on that might cut into these Biden margins and maybe even leave Trump on top? I, that's a, Rick, that's a great question. I think that, that, that Trump has been way too, fo- look, look, when you hire a pollster to discredit another pollster, you know that you've got polling fever and that, that you need an antidote to, to fix yourself, that Trump was more afraid, more concerned about polling that showed him losing than he was about the reasons why, the reasons why people were hostile to him and why they were turning against him. And you guys have forgotten 
that one of the greatest ways to learn about people is to actually have these extended conversations. I call them focus groups or instant response sessions where you spend not 10 minutes on the phone with them or 15 minutes online with them, but two or three hours listening to them and groups of people giving you a sense of what's wrong. Trump did not realize, I think, until the last month that people genuinely didn't like him. Nobody's going to walk up to the president of the United States and say, hey, dude, you're not cool. Get out of here. I don't want to listen to you anymore. If Trump had understood how the public had turned against him, just maybe he would have changed his communication. He would have changed his delivery. I, I, probably not. But I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna take the probably not on that on that. <laughs> I've, I've I've seen a lot of people try to get him to change. And the, uh, the key point is when he said to those women in the suburban uh, Philadelphia market, "Like me, please like me." Yeah. That was the moment that I realized that he understood where he stood in this election. So so I I I, I, we, I know both of you guys have to, have to go. Um, I, I I have I have just just one question. For, for each of you uh, before we do one um, uh, to, to, to Galen, uh, this, uh, th- th- this, po- these pollsters, uh, Trafalgar, who, uh, oh <laughs> who have been very popular in the, uh, in, in, in the Trump world and like to market themselves uh, as the people that got it right in 2016. Uh, and, and their polls just miraculously seem to show Trump ahead, basically everywhere uh, that every other polls essentially show him behind. Can you, can you help me out? Who, who are these guys and what should we make of them? Well, to be clear, I don't know that much about the actual people who run Trafalgar, and I'm not exactly sure what their procedures are for conducting polling. When you look at the crosstab, sometimes the data looks quite odd. They have, of course, been dining out since 2016 on the fact that they predicted that Trump would do well in the Midwest, which he ended up doing. He did well in the Midwest for the reasons I described previously, and not because of, I would say, shy Trump voters, which is the argument that the Trafalgar group makes. They're essentially saying there are a bunch of people who answer you know, phone calls from pollsters who just lie to them about what their preferences are. There is no good evidence for that whatsoever. In fact, if we did think that there were shy Trump voters, we, they would probably most likely be living in bluer areas of the country. But we actually saw in 2016 that Clinton overperformed in bluer areas of the country and Trump overperformed in redder areas of the country, meaning that actually there aren't secret Trump voters in these like purple or blue areas who just won't tell pollsters because of social pressure. It very much is the fact that it's harder to reach voters who don't have a college degree. They're just like less likely to pick up the phone. It's also harder to reach younger people. It's also harder to reach people of color. And so you have to wait accordingly. So just to clarify what that means for folks, if you expect the national electorate to be 12% black, which it is roughly, but you only, only 6% of your sample are black voters, you basically have to double how much you count each black voter in your sample. Now you have to do that for education as well, because it's such an important dividing line. So this idea that there are shy Trump voters that they've been dining out on for four years, uh, I mean, I expect that we might be able to put that kind of theory uh, to bed tonight. Uh, you know, <laughs> we'll see. never say never. But uh, it's uh, it doesn't make a ton of sense when you compare it to the high quality, rigorous pollsters who have been sampling large numbers of voters in battleground states this cycle. Okay, and and, and Frank, my 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 closing question to you is looking ahead to uh, 
uh, to, to what comes next. Uh, of course, there's been a lot of talk that Donald Trump would come out and prematurely declare a victory or uh, contest the legitimacy of, of the results. I, I know you, I mean, you talk to everybody, Frank, Democrat and Republican, um, uh, but, 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 you've, but, but, but you, I think that you is, have got as good a sense as anybody as to how the Republican leadership in Congress uh, will, will respond. What, what is your... What is your feeling? Will will Republicans go along with it if Trump is is contesting results and uh, or, or declaring victory before the votes are counted, or will they or will we finally see a split, which we really haven't seen uh, between Donald Trump and and the Republican congressional leadership? They've had conversations and they do not want to be on the wrong side of history. They know what is the right thing to do. They're not willing to make a commitment now because we don't know what the votes will be. But I believe that if the time comes and Trump is claiming things that are simply not meaningful, not measurable, that they will stake a claim to respect the Constitution, to respect the will of the people, to respect the voice of the voter, and they will act accordingly. All right. Well, Rick, do you have anything else to add before we uh, before we go off and 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 make sure everybody's voted? I, look, it is. I, I think I think the point that uh, that that uh, that Frank made that uh, this is a day where a lot of uh, a lot of data science lives or dies. Uh, a lot of polling has to uh, has staked something of a claim to credibility in this election cycle. Uh, all we can do is watch right now. Election days, John, you know this about me. I hate them. They stink. They, <laughs> election nights are a lot of fun, but election days, nobody knows anything. I've got 75 checks chains that, that go something around like, what do you know? What are you hearing? Uh, nobody yeah. knows anything. Uh, we just have to wait for the, the verdict of the voters. And if nothing else, you know, let's celebrate the fact that more Americans are going to vote in this election than ever before. Uh, we may have a, a larger turnout uh, than any election in a century. Uh, and, um, you know, that a lot of people are part of this process. Excellent. All right, Galen, Frank, thank you for joining us. And from the powerhouse politics team, we're going to be up late. We hope to be back with you tomorrow with some results, maybe even a winner for Trevor Hastings, Avery Miller, Rick Klein. I'm Jonathan Carl saying we will see you tomorrow.